0: And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. A happy Thanksgiving installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Alongside J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports, Mike Morgan, uh, VSPN, and the SCC Network. Gone a little bit early this week, so you can uh, digest this before you digest your turkey, your stuffing, your pumpkin pie, your sweet potatoes, your green beans, your collard beans. What am I missing? Your, some people do mac and cheese. That's not for me. Potato salad, broccoli casserole. Okay, I believe there's mayo in a couple of those things. Also not for me. Not a mayo guy, huh? Hmm. I believe, and I, and, I, and I stand firm on this, that mayo is the condiment of the devil. But I don't judge people <laughs> who eat it. It doesn't mean that you yourself like the devil. I just believe if there's a hell... There's a guy with a pitchfork and horns with a big bucket that he is stirring. And that bucket is full of mayonnaise. <laughs> Other than that, I don't judge, you know, I am a live and let live guy. Yeah. But I don't I blame you for that. This is a controversial <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> I have been battling a little bit of bronchitis here. This is a controversial subject. What, what I have learned, you mentioned mustard, you mentioned ketchup, People will shrug their shoulders. Yeah. You don't know, like it. Eh, it's not for me. You mentioned relish. You mentioned, I don't know, any, any type of salad dressing. You mentioned Mayo. That is a polarizing condiment. Wars will be fought one day over Mayo. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just don't know if we'll ever come together as a country with a consensus on Mayo. You either love it and you think it's just awesome or you have an issue with it. I admittedly have an issue with it. So
1: I'm a, I'm a mayonnaise guy. I, I gotta say I'm disappointed in you, Mike, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, we, we won't fight a war over it. I, I like it. I like mustard and I like ketchup as well. Yeah. Of, the, of those three crazy thing about me is ketchup's probably my least favorite. I like it on French fries. Don't really like it on burgers, anything else. Some people love ketchup. You know, I, I'm a Heinz 57 sauce guy too. A lot of people don't even know what that is anymore, but, uh, I do. I kinda, if I eat a hamburger steak or something, I, I like a little Heinz 57 <coughs> with it, and um, i rather enjoy that. Uh,
0: are you a steak sauce guy, or do you think that is just a heresy to put good steak sauce on a good steak?
1: Depends on the steak. Um, on a good steak, you know, like, okay, so I'll give you an example. Saturday night we grilled porterhouses. We went to the, the, the good meat market and got the fresh-cut porterhouses and uh, grilled those bad boys up. Um, before the weather turned to snow, and uh, you know, with that, I- I'm not going to put anything on it. I'm going to season it before I put it on the grill. To, so I'm going to cook it to perfection, and then I'm going to have a little bit of creamy horseradish on the side mm-hmm. that I'll dip maybe every other every other bite into, maybe every third bite. But that's it. No, no Heinz fifty. So now, if I have a chop steak, like a hamburger steak or something like that. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll Heinz 57 that to death, and you know I also put Heinz 57 on burgers. So if it's chopped, you know if it's ground beef, yeah. yeah. But but the actual good steak, no. Now if I get a sirloin that's kind of eh, eh, you know, or, or I'm doing steak and eggs at the Waffle House, yeah, yeah, I'll
0: do some Heinz 57 with that. Now we're we're gonna part on this as well because <laughs> I just had as good a steak as you'll get in the SEC. Uh, kudos to Halls steakhouse now in Columbia, South Carolina. I was there to call the game against Missouri halls, I guess, made a name for itself in Charleston. Yeah, and Greenville too. I've been there. It is a good steak. It, uh, that is, you could argue that's the best steak in the sec. And I've had just about every uh, good steak. I mean, some cities quite frankly in the Southeastern conference <laughs> are, are still hurting for a good steakhouse. And Columbia was one of those cities for a long, long time. Uh, They got a Roos Chris, which is nice, but this is a whole other level. Hall's is fantastic. So I did what I normally do. It's the third time I've been there since they opened up. I got my filet. I'm a filet guy. But, yes, they do have a, 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 a homemade steak sauce, and I'm all about that steak sauce. And I've gotten looks from people. Uh, I've gotten frowns from people that, uh, that have gone out with me and have gone to a really good steakhouse. And I always asked, do you have like a good steak sauce? And, and what made me think of that is you were talking about ketchup. It's usually a good steak sauce is red based, right? It's tomato based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and I love me some tomato. I could tomato to me, whether you want to call it a fruit or a vegetable or whatever, I can't get enough tomato. It's good for you, but I like it on my steak. And that's a damn good steak, and I don't—I'm putting a sauce on it every time. I don't care what anybody says. So there we go. All right, good different for you. Folks, different folks. I'm glad we tackled the uh, hard-hitting issues.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you that, that sauce at ha- House Halls—not House Halls—is halls, halls good. I, I agree. That may be the best steak in the SEC. I haven't been everywhere to get a steak. I've been everywhere, but I haven't always got a steak. Because, um, you know, you go places like the Catfish Hole in Fayetteville, they don't they don't have steak. Um, I mean, I'm sure they do, but it's, you know, it's not a place you associate with it. You go to Doe's for a good steak. In yeah, Fayetteville. in Fayetteville. So, but I haven't had it everywhere, but I'd be surprised if many were better than Hall's. But, you know, maybe they'll advertise with the J.C. and Morgan podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if we keep talking about it.
0: So. Maybe so. We'll uh, we'll clip that and send it to the fine people at uh, at Hall's Steakhouse. You see Broiler's pretty good one in Missouri. The problem with that is you can it's so small, you can never get a table and they don't take reservations. So I hardly ever wind up, wind up going. At a um, waiting line, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you might note to Mr. Broiler, you might want to expand. I'm telling mm-hmm. you, you got a good you got a good piece of meat there, but you got to I branch out a little. Tuscaloosa now is getting good restaurants. I mean, the SEC's come a long way, but I, but I digress. The SEC uh, came a long way this past weekend because we had six games instead of seven. Uh, no Ole Miss versus Texas A and M, which would have been intriguing. I don't think Ole Miss would have beaten A and M because I don't think Ole Miss can stop anybody. But uh, let's let's face it, Lane Kiffin and that offense and Matt Corral and all those great receivers and toys that he has to work with. They're, they're good. They're must see TV. Like they're a fun watch, but uh, that game is postponed. We had the other six uh, go through. I think, uh, you know, some of the bigger storylines, Kyle Trask continues to be as good as it gets in terms of a Heisman candidate Uh, Georgia the there's going to be a lot of questions asked all year long in Athens as to why we didn't see JT Daniels earlier. And, and I just went on a theory that he must be hurt for them to not play him and continue to, to, to suffer through poor to mediocre quarterback play. But I'm not sure if that's the case. I, I've got some pretty good sources over there, and they hadn't heard that. And so I don't know if we'll ever know, but I know this much. That is the guy that clearly makes Georgia look effective in a passing game that has been inept for a while. All of a sudden, their receivers look good, and we haven't been talking about Georgia's receivers much at all either. They look good in that game, and Mississippi State, say what you will about their offense, they've been playing scrappy defense all year long. So uh, I, I thought that was uh, something that stood out to me in, in terms of looking ahead for Georgia. It might be too little too late in terms of the Eastern Division race, but in terms of the future, uh, it looks like now they they finally have themselves – a, a, a quarterback and maybe South Carolina has one too. And Luke Doty, uh, we were there uh, to, to broadcast that game. South Carolina was inept in the first half, 68 yards of offense as a team in 2020. And, and then they put that kid in and, and he just, he's quick twitch. He's shifty making moves. And he actually gave them a chance without shy Smith in the game, no less who went out in the fifth play of the game. Um, An interesting vibe. It's the first time I've done a game where they just fired the head coach and you've got an interim coach. And the story is more about who's going to be the new coach as to whether or not, as opposed to whether or not they win the game. Uh, So that was a little bit odd, uh, an odd feeling, but, um, but they're excited. It just feels to me like they feel like a 500 pound anvil was taken off their back. The fan base there does. Because they so wanted the coaching change, and now they know they're going to have one, and so they just feel better. even if they lose every remaining game, they just feel better about things. It feels like uh, in the Palmetto State, Alabama rolls over Kentucky. Mac Jones continues to uh, do what he does, and Alabama's. Dead. If there's a better team in college football, I don't know who it is. Uh, of course, they're they're on a collision course to play Florida in the sec championship game, Auburn beats Tennessee. Tennessee now has lost. Is it five in a row by double digits?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so they're not just losing games or losing, they have a chance to, to, to lose the final eight games of the season. You know, the, the Vanderbilt might've been their best shot. That game got rescheduled this weekend. So still a whole, I will, we'll revisit that in a second. Arkansas continues to be the victim of awful calls. There was a fumble in that game. It should have gone their way. It didn't. There was a targeting call that shouldn't have gone against them. It did. And they lose to LSU 27-24. So that was the the story from the uh, SEC slate of games in terms of uh, top 25, uh, some games that – Uh, might have stood Ohio state, Indiana, to me, might be the (laughs) story of the year. I know they lost the game, but damn, I mean, Tom Allen and what they got going on in Bloomington is amazing. They lose 42 35, but uh, the fact that they took Ohio state to the brink and gave Justin Fields, maybe the worst start of his career says something Cincinnati stays alive in the hunt for a group five team, BYU blast North Alabama. They need to get somebody on that schedule if they can. Northwestern, the fighting Reese Davises, defeating Wisconsin, 17-7. Oregon survives Chip Kelly and UCLA, 38-35. Oklahoma blows out State and Bedlam, 41-13. Coastal Carolina, 8-0 with a win over Ab State. Iowa State blows out K-State. Southern Cal beats Utah. Utah is 0-1. <laughs> 0-1 on the cfa played one game. Uh, oh, and Liberty finally lost. NC state knocked them all 15, 14. Yeah. I mean, the biggest point. story of all, and I'll let you touch it all. I'm sorry to uh, uh, blather on here. The this biggest story of all might be the game that wasn't played and that's Clemson Florida state with a lot of drama there with the Dabo is not going to let go. But uh, some of your thoughts on, on all the action this weekend.
1: Yeah. Iowa state, you know, they, they continue to to march toward a birth in the big 12 championship game. You know, what's impressive to me is these guys play defense. Um, and I said that a lot, and, you know, 45 to nothing. We rarely see a shutout in the big 12. Um, and you look at some of these teams, you know, Iowa state's played a little defense this year. West Virginia's playing some defense. Oklahoma plays better defense now than maybe they were. I mean, It's not easy to hold Oakey State to 13 and bedlam and shut them out in the second half, yet they did. Um, I think Oklahoma's hitting its stride. I think those losses early in the year were unfortunate. Um, But now, you know, they're really starting to get back, and if they get in the Big 12 title game, I think they'll win it. Um, You know, Liberty finally lost to NC State. Dave Dorn is going to save his job. (laughs) Six and three. Uh, You know, I'm with you on JT Daniels. Um, I also think Mississippi State does a good job of selling out to kind of stop the run, similar to Missouri, who you had this weekend defensively. But, you know, Georgia, I mean, last time I checked, the the Mississippi State Bulldogs weren't really lighting it up with the Pirate there. And, you know, Georgia, their defense sort of seemed – I mean, they – Mississippi State threw it 52 times. I think I think they found a quarterback. But, I mean, you know, is Georgia's defense going to get back interested in playing football or not? I mean, that, that, that's my question about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see kind of what happens with them going forward. Uh, you know, you mentioned Indiana, and, and I, I sent you a text actually uh, this weekend. I said Tom Allen may be the best coach in football. <laughs> um, and I think he's probably done the best coaching job of anybody this year you know, we want to talk about recruiting rankings and things like that. And those are great, but Indiana, you know, nobody really had them in the top 30 in recruiting. And they, I know they kind of, they go South and get guys that a lot of, you know, that maybe you're right there on that edge uh, of, of, a, of a group of five offer or whatever, and, and get them up to Bloomington. And they, they take junior college players, but they're stout on defense they're stout on offense and i tell you what there's no quit left in this team because ohio state had them down you know it looked like ohio state was going to run away with it and then all of a sudden boom uh here you go here come the the hoosiers uh and i think they're a legit uh top 10 team this year and and i think that you know when you when you look at things like you know who's going to go to a new year's six bowl if indiana wins out i think that would be a nice you know, nice
0: nice deal for them Quite a great you want some Tom Allen trivia? Tom uh, Allen all right. has, has a link to one SEC program in his uh, bio. You know which one it is? It's Ole Miss. He's from the Hugh Freeze coaching tree. That's right. 2012 to 2014, he was the linebackers and special teams coach. So then he goes, after that got blown up, he goes to South Florida, He's a defensive coordinator one year in twenty fifteen. Would that be Charlie Strong? Um, uh, to, or think. was
1: Taggart or was Taggart. twenty fifteen Tag? No, that was still Taggart because that was still um, Taggart. Yeah,
0: because Taggart didn't leave till twenty six. So that was Taggart. Yeah. Okay, and then and then he jumped ship to twenty sixteen to Indiana, his alma mater. Well, before that, he went to. Maranatha Baptist university. <laughs> then he goes to Indiana and he takes the, he's the DC in 2016 and then uh, becomes the head coach. Now my first, here's my first thought, and this is a lesson to all to uh, anybody uh, including myself on this. My first thought was, wow, he's going to get one heck of a raise, right? Cause you're thinking it's Indiana football. How much money could, could Tom Allen be making? He's making three point nine million. He ain't a coupon coach over there. Mm-mm. I mean, I'm not saying he won't get a raise. He deserves, God knows, he deserves a lot of stuff. But that surprised me. I don't know if it would have surprised you. I know there's a lot of money in the Big Ten, but three point nine million for Tom Allen, Indiana, pretty good stuff. Yeah, I, people don't
1: realize. I think sometimes, especially those of us that sometimes are more coordinated towards the south, that the Big Ten schools, including Indiana and Rutgers and all these other schools, have money. Um, you know, because of the TV deal that they, right. you know, and the, and the money the conference makes for him, yeah. I mean, he's doing well. I, I think, you know, even though he's got ties to the Hoosier State, I think at some point, if you're a competitor, sometimes you you do have to realize that, you know, maybe that's not the best job. And if you can go get a bigger job, uh, I wouldn't rule it out. I, I think. you know, there's one big job open right now. And I hadn't heard Tom Allen's name in connection with South Carolina, but you let some of these other jobs come open. They're going to go after him and Indiana's going to have to give him a raise. But, uh, you know, just, just like this kid, Michael Penix, Jr. Who's their quarterback. Uh, Mike, he's a three-star guy out of Tampa. You know, obviously I think Tom Allen or whoever knew he was down there uh, because of uh, their ties to South Florida. And, I think Allen was a high school coach. You know, he's 6'2", 195 coming out. Um, Had some offers that fell through from Tennessee and Arizona and some other places. They scooped him up. You know, FSU, uh, here you go, Florida State fans. (laughs) FSU had a crystal ball prediction for this kid um, way back when. Don't know what happened exactly. But, uh, you know, obviously after visiting FSU, he, he decided not to go to Florida state when they, they could use them. But, uh, you know, it's just interesting stuff like that, that, that we talk about, but I, I, Indiana really impressed me. Not so much that the game was close, but with their fight and and, and the way they came back, I mean, you, you could have folded up the tent down 28, seven at halftime, but they went in there against the mighty Buckeyes uh, and won the fourth quarter. I mean, yeah. shut them down. So I think that's it, you know, you, you kind of look at it and it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, Ty Fry Fogle, hmm. you know, there, uh, which is an interesting name, great name. Uh, you know, he, you. He, here, here's a guy that, you know, again, you know, they sat there, they got him uh, out of the South uh, from George County high school in Loosedale, Mississippi. So there he is calling on his, his, his Mississippi connections. They beat Idaho on this kid, seven catches for 218 yards. Um, You know, so so that's just kind of an interesting thing about Indiana. You you know, there's not that much talent in the Hoosier State, like football-wise, great basketball talent. But, you know, you're you're not only with Indiana kids fighting the whole, you know, the Big Ten schools, Ohio State, Michigan. They'll come in there and offer the top two or three. So you're fighting them. You're fighting Notre Dame, which is in your state. Uh, And, and then in a lot of cases you're fighting Purdue, which has been pretty much better than Indiana, not great, but better than Indiana on the gridiron over the years. Um, So, so it's a brutally tough job uh, to get players. And, you know, I just just can't say enough about, you know, the way the rosters come together how hard those kids play and the fact that they found some guys that are really, really talented that, that nobody else wanted.
0: I I'm fascinated by, and these are the kind of stories I love. Um, we're running out of stories like this, you know, good coaching candidates. Now, it almost seems like they're manufactured as opposed to doing it the old fashioned way. Like get your hands dirty on, on small jobs, high school jobs. He, he's coaching in high school from 92 to 2006. Right. Uh, he takes a job at 07 in Wabash division three college. Yeah. The North coast athletic conference. If you're scoring at home. Uh, and so he's there and then he goes to Lambeth where he, where he is uh, joined by Hugh Freeze, Lambeth university in Jackson, Tennessee, 2008 to 2009. Then he goes to Drake in 2010 where he succeeded Neil Nethery, um, After Allen left after that season to rejoin Freeze at Arkansas State in 2011, then stayed with Freeze at Ole Miss in 2012 through 2014, one year with Taggart at South Florida in 2015, which no doubt he learned nothing from his head coach there, and then went to Indiana from 2016 on. And that is the path. That's a guy paying his dues. So now he's making nearly 4 million. He's about to make more than that with doing what he's doing. Congratulations to uh uh to Tom Allen in Indiana. It's not often we say that after a loss, but I don't I think a lot of people thought, "Oh, Indiana's a cute story. They're going to get waxed in Columbus." Well, they didn't. Mm-hmm. Game, game basically came down in the final few minutes. Uh we we talked about Georgia you want to get into Tennessee? I mean, last week we spent a lot of time on the South Carolina coaching situation because there's officially an opening there, and uh, I, I've I've got bombarded by a number of uh, folks while while I was there to call the game this past weekend. And they all have their thoughts on who should be the guy. So Tennessee, it's Jeremy Pruitt's third year, and I have to wonder. In fact, there's an article on uh, CBS.com, Ben. Kirkivall, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Yes, Kirkivall. Per- some Kerchival. Kerchival. There we go. Uh, ben does good work, despite the fact that I can't pronounce his name. Uh, maybe we need to get him on the podcast as uh, some penance for that. But he he has a bunch of like quick hitters talking about this, that, and the other. And the number one thing at the top is should Greg Schiano? What would Greg Schiano have done at Tennessee? That's his headline. And that's a pretty good headline. Because if you remember, he had the job, and then they dismissed the old AD, who's now at Wake Forest, and they said, We need a Tennessee guy. We need a we, we need a football guy. We need we need our Phil Fulmer. Give us Phil. He's gonna show he's gonna give us a real Tennessee coach. And that's what they did. And they hired Jeremy Pruitt. And that hire was celebrated, right? A lot of people just went off on Greg Schiano, who, by the way, I know Rutgers only has one win, but he took a dumpster fire on top of a dumpster fire. And they took, they took three overtimes for Michigan to beat them. They already beat Michigan state. They're competitive in every game. There's no question. He's done a great job already at Rutgers. Jeremy Pruitt uh, had a nice streak there at the end of last year, although you might question what was the quality of wins. And now, that fan base is back in angst, which it seems like we say that every other year in Knoxville.
1: Yeah. I feel bad for him, you know, and, and it's weird. Cause it's been, it's been sort of a, you know, Mike, I'll, I'll go to an amusement park every now and then I've been known to, to ride a roller coaster or two in my Love life. And you know, there, there's, there, there's, there's, there's different styles and, There for a while, there was like, they started doing these roller coasters where it was like, all right, we're going to take you up a hundred feet in the air and then drop you down at at zero degrees, you know, or 90 degrees or whatever the degrees is. I I was not good at geometry. And you said, we're going to send you straight down a hundred feet plummeting toward the earth. Um, And that's different than kind of your deals where, you know, you you go up a hill, you go down a hill, you go over a loop, you have some corkscrews, you know, or the flying ones or whatever. Tennessee football under Jeremy Pruitt is that, that one where they just literally take your butt up a hundred feet in the air. (laughs) Then you go around the track and then you nose deaf. (laughs) And then you go for a little while and you go up again and then you do it again. Um, You know, and, and the, the, the crescendo of going up, that's him being hired recruiting. Well, all that good stuff. And then, you know, when you're at the bottom of that first hill, that's when you lost to Georgia State and BYU and couldn't cross the 50 for half the season. But then you go right back up, right? Eight-game win streak. Uh, I think it's eight games uh, over the course of two seasons. They beat South Carolina. They beat Missouri. They're off to a 2-0 start. And, and then they're up at halftime in Athens. And then all of a sudden – they drop your butt right back down (laughs) at a 45 degree angle. And we're sitting here exactly where Tennessee was, you know, a few years ago when, um, when Butch Jones was coaching. And and I I, I think this, uh, I think that, you know, with Pruitt there's, there's been some bizarre things, you know, not just the losses to Georgia state and things like that, but the, the, you know, firing your defensive line coach at halftime or I mean so not at halftime, but at uh after a game where your quarterback throws two pick sixes, that's kind of weird, you know. Um I I, uh, I think he's continuing to recruit well. He's got a good staff. Um but you know there there's issues with the offense and the quarterback play and all that good stuff. And it just, you know, those days where yeah. You know, hey, Tennessee came back and won all those games, and then started two and zero. That they they feel like they were like three years ago, hmm. um, and that's a, that's a problem. And, and Tennessee folks are, you know, they were feeling good and, and rightfully so. I I I thought they were one of the teams that sort of got screwed with the schedule, you know, this year um, because they were finally they finally had you know they get they get Alabama every year, right? So I was thinking, well, they they finally, you know they finally get Arkansas or whoever. And, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, they get Texas A&M added to their schedule and Auburn added to their schedule. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, that's unfortunate for them because they still have to play Alabama. Um, and, and, and I did think that was bad. Mike, but the, the the problem here is not that they lost to Georgia and Alabama. The, the problem is they've owned Kentucky for like 40 years and Kentucky beat them 34 to seven. At Ar- home. Ar- Ar- at home Arkansas was supposed to be the worst team in the league. They're not. The, the, and they weren't with by, by the time they played Tennessee, they weren't, but you still go to Arkansas and lose. Uh, then you go to Auburn and uh, just mistakes. And, you know, Auburn's not great. They're good, but they're not great. Uh, and you lose that one too, so so you're in a quagmire uh, now. This Vandy game's called off, so you're going to have Florida A&M and Vandy to end the season. So you're going to probably be sitting at two and seven, seven uh, in a row, two and seven with seven losses in a row. So it's this roller coaster kind of deal with Pruitt, and you know I I just don't know that when you look at next year. You know, even if they, they, they close the deal on some of these recruits that they have, because they do have a good class, th- th- things are going to be that much better in terms of, you know, Tennessee being able to, 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 to get over the hump. I mean, you know, obviously you're going to have some games if next year's normal that, that are snoozers or whatever. But, it, it, you know, I, I feel bad for their fans uh, because they were so full of hope and now they're not again. Um, and I understand those that want to go hire Hugh freeze. And I, you know, I mean, if you want to go do that, fine, but you know, Pruitt got a contract extension right before the season kicked off. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see, I, I, uh, as, as encouraged as I was by Pruitt and him turning it, uh, at the end of last year and really the first two games of this year, um, I'm equally discouraged. I don't know what the disconnect's been, you know, because against South Carolina and Missouri for the first half against Georgia, I saw a very confident football team. Were they perfect? No, but I saw a confident team. At that point, second half on, it's like Georgia took their soul and they can't find it. Um, and I don't understand that. So, you know, we'll see what happens in Knoxville, but I, I, I do think it's, it's, it's a roller coaster kind of deal uh, that's uh, – that that's hurting them, and I'm gonna tell you, Vol fans, if you won't change, you know, it's and you got the money, it's a good time to do it. Uh, don't let this recruiting class sit here and and keep you from making that change because, you know, I, I you know, kid, you look at yourself in the mirror and say things are absolutely going to get better next year.
0: Well, I don't know. I, I know one thing: Jared Garantano won't be the quarterback next year because he can't. Well, I guess in COVID, anybody can come back, right? But I'm I'm guessing he will move on, right?
1: Yeah, uh, Garantano could come back for what? What will that be? His 18th
0: season? It, it would feel like it. And and I don't. And I I look. I don't like to be overly critical of a of a player. It's more than one player, in Tennessee. Okay, that that is for certain. They're 15 and 17 through 32 games under Jeremy Pruitt. That's not all on Garantano. And I thought Garantano might have turned a corner a couple of times last year. And then he just continues to throw the soul crushing interception in, in games of consequence in times of consequence. And that is going to be the black mark on his career. And I'm sure Tennessee fans are saying, why aren't we going? And they have dabbled with other guys, but clearly they don't, they don't have another guy ready. Um, and, and so that is going to be the bane of Jeremy Pruitt's legacy at Tennessee. Now, I don't think he should be fired. I, I, not because I don't think there's any circumstance that you don't fire a coach after, uh, three years. Look, we've seen a couple coaches fired after two years. The Chad Morris situation in Arkansas was clearly just not working in any way, shape or form. And you, you remove him and look what you see. It's immediate positive results. The removal of Willie Taggart at Florida State had to be done. There's still a whole lot of toxic. Situ- I mean, they've they've got to just clean house over there. There's a lot of bad vibes coming out of Tallahassee. Uh, so it wasn't all on Taggart, but enough of it was for I could see where you'd make that move. I don't think there's enough here to get rid of Jeremy Pruitt. I'm not a Jeremy Pruitt uh, apologist. I don't know if he turns it around or not, but I just don't see firing him as, as the way to go right now. And that's without even knowing the, I'm imagining the buyout is pretty substantial. As you mentioned, they just gave him an extension. Um, Tennessee has fired so many coaches over the last decade. They're still paying Butch. They're still, are they still paying Derek Dooley? I don't know. Um, I just think you start, you get, you get into that cycle and it's really hard to break out of, it's really hard to break out of. So I, I, it's going to be interesting to me uh, to see that. But when I look at Tennessee in a nutshell, first of all, it wasn't good when he took it over. That's why the job was open. And secondly, they haven't been able to get quarterback play. And if you haven't been able to, get if you don't get quarterback play in today's day and age of college football, you're just not winning games. You're just not doing it. Used to be able, You used to be able to camouflage that if you had a really good running game and a really good defense. First of all, Tennessee has neither. But even if you do, it's hard to win games with subpar quarterback play. And Jarek Garantano's play, to use a euphemism, would be considered subpar. Speaking of euphemisms, let me just say one thing real quick. I, I want to uh, applaud something one of my cohort's on the sec network said the other night talking about uh players opting out at this point and as gene Chiswick was talking about it he brought up a great point opting out is what players did before the season if you were fearful of covid and no one was going to hold it against you there was still a lot of unknown even though none of these football players even they get it are going to the hospital most of them are asymptomatic and if they do test positive they're back and they're fine i don't want to get into that whole s- subject uh but you you see the numbers, you see what's going on. So uh, the, for the players that didn't opt out, you're being rewarded. And, and the worst thing that might've happened is you tested positive once, and then you got back on the field a couple of weeks later. That being said, an opt out in late November to Gene Chiswick's point is not an opt out. It's quitting. You're not opting out because of health concern. COVID that, that, that COVID hasn't changed per se there are players that just decided that when the season started going south, eh, I don't want to play anymore. That I don't know if I would call that an opt-out. That, to me, is more of a quit. You disagree? Yeah. No, I, I think it is to a certain extent. I understand. I'm, pulling that, anybody
1: out. I'm not This anybody out. That's not the, the, the point of you know, my – you know. I also think that, you know, when you when you – some guys have good reasons to do it um you know when they're, you're talking about a multi-million dollar investment and i think we set this uh precedent when guys started opting out for bowl games you right. know i think that i get uh, i i get it but yeah you, 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 you yeah uh, to use covid as a uh as sort of a um i don't know a, a cover for this uh, I think it's wrong. And, and it, it also, I, I, you know, Mike, I think it depends on the individual story. You know, I mean, there, there's some guys that have opted out that hadn't played worth a spit this year, you know, yeah, uh, and, and they're opted out to go to the NFL and they've sucked quite frankly on the field more than um, more than you would think. And, and, and they have no business even doing that. Now, hopefully they'll get it together and the NFL will draft them or whatever, but, you know, that that's the kind of thing I think that where Chiswick is right. And it is it is definitely more of a quit. People should talk about that. Um, yeah. But, you know, we have this thing nowadays in, with the National College, some in the National College football media that think everything's, you know, about exploiting the student athlete and all that. So if you say that, you know, publicly and say that they quit, you know, you're know, you going to get criticized. And I'm, I'm sure Gene Chiswick will – Oh, get sure. his he, share, you know, he, a
0: big, rich coach, whatever. So, right. uh, but he pointed, and I wish I wrote this number down. He pointed something else. All those players that have opted out of bowl games, there's a large amount of those that didn't even get drafted or another large amount that got drafted in the latter rounds and didn't make the team or out of pro football within a year. The, the problem is, Look, a lot of these kids, unfortunately, do not have a whole lot of guidance, and they are easy prey for agents. Easy prey, and all it takes is one. Man, I'm telling you, your first round. I'm hearing things. Your first round, and it's amazing the amount of kids that'll believe it, and and it's really destructive because you don't get a second chance at that. Once you sign with an agent, you are. That's it. You don't get a chance to enhance your stock anymore. You don't get a chance to put together better film. Uh, and, of course, you don't get a chance to actually finish out your, what you started and perhaps even get a degree. So just a quick aside, I, I thought of that because it's happened a lot here lately. A lot of young men uh, with three games to play, eh, I think I'm going to opt out. Okay. That's <laughs> – you can call it an opt out, but that's, it's basically you're, you're, you decided to quit and and somebody's told you that's a good move. Uh, and maybe it is financially. Uh, my only thing is like, if you're going to be a first round pick, um, you're probably going to be a first round pick. Any, like, I, I get it. What if you tear up your knee guys are coming back from ACLs every day. Mm. I, I I don't know if that's enough to, the change the tide on that. But that's what you could point to is what if they get hurt? And then I, you know, I get it. Anyway, uh, I do want to mention one guy who's never going to opt out on you. guy's just going to save you a lot of money. This is a, you want to get yourself a good gift right about now? You want to go ahead and take care of yourself for the holidays, you and your family? How about saving thousands on a refi of a mortgage or maybe a new mortgage? Maybe you're in the market for a new home. Mortgage rates have dipped to their lowest levels in recent history. We know that doesn't stay that that way for long. What we also know, what I know firsthand is if you shop around, not everybody is able to give you the same rate and the same situation. That's why for 20 years, uh, I have gone to one man and one man only, and that is Stuart Wingo. Every time that I've made any type of purchase or refi, I know he's going to take care of me no matter what state I'm in, no matter what the economic climate is, The bottom line is he's going to get you the lowest rate. He's also going to give you great customer service. He's kind of like Rain Man when it comes to this stuff. Half the time, I don't even know what he's saying, but it always makes sense in the end and it always yields great results. So it's a phone number you'll want to write down to save some money uh, here in the final months of 2020, a year that we just assumed to get over with now, but you might as well have something good come out of 2020, and that is a great mortgage rate. 803 319 1777 is the number, and you'll want to write it down, and you literally will save thousands of dollars. 803 319 1777. Tell them Mike sent you. And while we're on the subject of uh, taking care of yourself, spoiling yourself over the holidays, guys, get yourself a new suit or sports jacket. Brent Skinner is the man. Tell them that I sent you, and you'll get a free tie. And we're not talking like Costco ties, they're like $150, $200 ties in some cases at BP Skinner Clothiers, he will come to you. Same thing, no matter where you are listening to us throughout the country. Uh, Brent wants to take care of your wardrobe, just as he has so many people throughout the country, business people, coaches, athletes, accountants, you name it. Uh, People know the quality. And if you don't want to sacrifice quality, and if you want to get it done right and do it all at the convenience of your home or office, go to bpskinnerclothiers.com, set up an appointment, mention you heard about it on JC and Morgan, and with any purchase of a suit or sports coat, you'll get a free F-R-E-E tie. JC, uh, there's some Heisman talk in the uh, air as well. Kyle Trask continues to go on. Can I just get something off my chest? I hate to do this, but uh, you know I listen to a lot of uh, shows, mostly national. And I'm listening to two people talk about the Heisman trophy and a lot of people now are on the Kyle Trask bandwagon and why not? He's lighting it up. A lot of people are on the Mac Jones bandwagon and why not? He's lighting it up. Uh, But I was listening to the rationale of this one group first off, and I forgot his name already. I admittedly, I haven't seen a whole lot of Tulsa football, but this one particular person thought they were the smartest person in the room by saying the the Tulsa linebacker. He had him second in the Heisman race right now ahead of Kyle Trask. Mm. I'm not making this up. This is on a national uh, satellites college football show. Tulsa. (laughs) The linebacker. I think he had a walk-off interception. I'm sure he's a fine player. Maybe, maybe he's even a a first round pick. Maybe he's the next Khalil Mack. I, I don't know, but Somehow like you always, there's always that person that thinks they're going to sound like the smartest person in the room by going by when everybody zigs, I'm going to zag. So I'm not going to go for a quarterback. I'm, and I'm not even going to go for a power five player. I'm picking a linebacker from Tulsa over Kyle Trask who's having one of the best seasons in sec history. Uh, very similar to what Joe Burrow did last year. And then one of the persons on the show, uh she says, "Well, when you think about it, Kyle Pitts is really the best player. Uh, apparently she hasn't been watching a lot of Florida football. Kyle Pitts is terrific. He's going to be a first-round draft pick. Kyle Trask has been dominating. They have played 3 games without Kyle Pitts. They played the second half of, of the AM and Georgia games without Kyle Pitts, uh uh Kyle Pitts, excuse me, and still have dominated. And Kyle Trask is still every throw is on the money." He's throwing to a lot of guys that, quite frankly, are not first-round draft picks. I mean, Kadarius, Tony's a nice player, but he's not that kind of weapon. They're throwing the backup tight ends. They're throwing the backs out of the backfield. A lot of it is Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson scheming up great plays. Uh, But Kyle Trask is easily one of the top two or three candidates for the Heisman uh, Trophy right now. And I say that as a voter. So I was listening to that. I was just like putting my hand on my forehead going, are you people serious watch more football before you talk about it i mean thank you watch more football uh uh, the, the same person was saying well i voted for christian mccaffrey because a lot of the voters didn't watch the west coast well i voted for christian mccaffrey too and to me that wasn't that difficult of a vote he had one of the best seasons since barry sanders so uh congratulations you got one right but if you're thinking Kyle Trask is not worthy of the Heisman Trophy discussion this year, you might want to watch more football in the SEC. That's my Heisman Trophy update.
1: I agree with that. And and look, I'm going to say this for those of you that love star ratings and, and buy into like that being the end all be all. And, and I want to say this, cause I worked in that industry. I think star ratings are good to look at as a collective and you look at stringing good highly rated class after highly rated class after highly rated class together, it shows that you're going to be good, you know, and that's a very general thing. You know, some of you out there in listening land, particularly certain fan bases. Every time you get a commitment from a three-star kid, you act like the, the, you just sound like the the backup, you know, like you're, you're getting like the backup vocalist from foreigner to come, you know, start your heavy metal band or something. Uh, that's probably not the best analogy, but, you know, me, I, I'll point this. The two guys that I think are the, the top two in the Heisman right now, and, and this is just my opinion, are Mac Jones from Alabama and Kyle Trask from Florida. Okay. Let me roll you through the recruiting rankings, Mike. Mac Jones, high, you know, mid to high three-star, um, 88 rating guy out of um, Jacksonville. Bama flipped him from Kentucky. Did His recruitment did not have half the pomp and circumstance of Bryce Young or Tua Viola or any of the other Bama quarterbacks they've taken. All right. Kyle Trask. Um, who I actually personally believe was better for Jim McIlwain's offense than Felipe Franks was a backup most of the time in high school. That was the lowest three-star rating you could possibly have. All right. So these two guys are leading the Heisman. They're the exception more so than the rule, but but the exception when it comes to football players individually is only like a 40% clip. The rule is only hitting 65. They're, they're, the rule is only batting 650 tops. So next time your school you know, gets a three-star instead of running to Twitter or the message board and crapping all over this guy, maybe you want to watch a little film and and, and see the positives of him and and look into what he could be because I guarantee you that's what your coaching staff's doing. They're looking at projecting him as to what he can be. Uh, And I'm just glad this kind of, you know, craps all over the whole notion that, you know, you can only win with five-star quarterbacks because these two guys were not heavily recruited. But, you know, Jim McIlwain, uh, Cause I can't give Dan Mullen credit for recruiting Trask um, and uh, Nick Saban and those guys saw something in these guys uh, and, and it's panned
0: out pretty well. Yeah. You really can't even give McElwain a whole lot of credit. Randy Shannon was the guy that accidentally, <laughs> excuse me, discovered him. He was on a recruiting trip to to see another player at that high school and the high school coach was like, I, you know, this kid doesn't start for me because we've got the Eric King, but you might want to give him a shot. And then they looked at some, I guess, practice tape and and checked him out, and then got him in a camp or what have you. And uh, the rest is history. But even Jim McElwain wasn't uh, getting full credit for that. Uh, that and you mentioned Mac Jones, uh, who's out of what bowls, right? Same. Uh, same high school as Chipper Jones Chipper and Jones. And, 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 again, he doesn't fit the profile of what a lot of people want to tell you has to be the modern day quarterback. Uh, look, I love watching De'Ara King. He's exciting as heck. Trevor Lawrence is a freakish athlete that comes along once ever, once every couple of decades, but there's more than one way to skin a cat. Uh, the, the guys we're talking about don't move all over the place. They're, they're agile enough to, for what we call pocket mobility to, to go ahead and evade a sidestep or rusher, but not just tuck it and run every time and continue to look downfield and make plays. I don't care how long the game is played. There will always be a place for guys that can make incredibly accurate throws all over the field from the pocket. That's not changing. Some of you want it to change. It's not changing. I agree. Is It's exciting to watch some of the other, I love the way I look at it, I love the variety pack. You know, I I, I, I don't want just, uh, remember I remember you used to have the variety packs of chips where like it'd be Cheetos and Doritos and yes. Funyuns. And, well, I don't want a 12 pack of Funyuns. You know, I have to be in a certain mood to have that that level of salt and onion intake. I, I like to mix it up a little bit. I like, Sometimes I like a little Cheetos. Sometimes I like to dial it back and just go potato chips. That's how I like to watch quarterbacks. They don't all have to come out of the same mold. So, But, but there are some that are just so adamant, and then they hate it when they see pocket passers continue to win at all levels of football. Uh, we're looking at the top two quarterbacks this year in college football are those kind of guys. So I think it's kind of interesting to see that something that could be interesting to see tonight uh, when we're done a couple hours from now, they will have the college football selection show. All right. How much, how much anticipation are we looking at here? Because we already know the top teams per usual, right? I mean, it's, this is still a Bama, Ohio state Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida, race. And then you've got Cincinnati as kind of a wild card. You've got Oregon as kind of a wild card. Uh, you get A&M perhaps as a wild card. And then we're just, we're, we're running out of stuff here. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see where they put Cincinnati because it's really hard to, to measure that. And of course, th- this year is a bigger, bigger challenge than ever because you've got teams that have not played nearly the same amount of games. That's obvious, but is there anything in particular you're looking for when the, uh, the first playoff rankings come out?
1: Well, I'm, I'm looking for this, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I think, and I've said this on this podcast and, and early all year, as weird of a year as it is, we're going to end up with Alabama and Clemson playing for all the marbles. <laughs> and I believe that uh, still now Clemson has to get in. That, that, that's the tricky part and, and when you look at it, I, I know Notre Dame is ranked number two, but when you look at the body of work, you know, c- can you really say, Mike, that like a and one loss to Alabama to the best team in the country or Florida's one loss to A&M uh, isn't at least equal to Clemson losing to Notre Dame? Now, Clemson was in, o- in overtime, but I, I think by all accounts, you know, Notre Dame – has been less impressive start to finish this year than the Gators. Um, you know, and, and maybe even you can make an argument for A&M, um, but they're undefeated, so they're going to be up there. So I, I'm, gonna, I'm interested to see how they view Clemson's loss, and, and if they're not just, oh, well, we're just going you know, to throw them up there because they're Clemson and Notre Dame. And Notre Dame. <laughs> um, I think there'll be some question as to does Ohio State belong with um, – and I think the answer is absolutely Yes. Um, and then kind of curious about Cincinnati, uh, curious about you know, kind of how they rank them and, and, and place them. They really haven't played uh, any great football teams, but they they've played great football if that makes sense. I kind of think between me and you, Mike, Cincinnati should probably try to find a way to schedule BYU. That'd be um, great, I love that. that, and I quite frankly think BYU would beat him by a couple of touchdowns. I just think I do you know, too. BYU's players are twenty four years old, so it's like you know they're 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 a, they veteran, a veteran a first group. rounder at quarterback.
0: Yeah, veteran. That, group, that so. kid is going first round. Yeah,
1: to, to So we'll see kind of um, we'll see kind of what happens, um, you know. But I, I my guess is it'll end up Bama, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Clemson, uh, and they'll just throw Clemson there and, and thinking that. Clemson's loss was somehow better than Florida's loss or A&M's loss, which I don't agree with, but that, that they'll throw them in there. I mean, maybe they throw A&M in though, because, you know, if you're going to rank Notre Dame two and Bama one, then A&M's only lost to Bama. Now it was by 28 points. Clemson's loss to Notre Dame was in overtime. So I don't know, but it, it's going to be interesting. And, and the other thing to think about too is with this Clemson, Florida state deal, and the ACC and Dabo and all that good stuff, you know, th- think about the, the, AC, the ACC championship is not being determined with divisions like it was last year, you know. The, the ACC championship game is the top two in the league. Um, and, and I think it's determined by winning percentage. I'm not sure. Um, I, I don't think they're going to hold this Florida State game against them. Um, but, but it's interesting. Clemson's now saying they don't want to play. You know, Tigers have Pitt and Virginia Tech left.
0: Uh, no, they, my, they, they, and they have the time. Gonna, Go ahead. I was going to say, as I understand it, they're saying we'll play, but you're playing here now. You, yeah. you, know, you got $300,000 in travel costs. Uh, we went there and then you decided you don't want to play us. So now if you want to play, you come here. And I don't know if that's really fair. (laughs) I don't know if that's realistic or not, but that's what, that's what's going on there. Yeah.
1: And you know, you you do have Miami sitting there too, that, you know, my, you know, if Miami finishes nine and one or 10 and one or or nine and one in the league versus Clemson's eight and one, you know, my, I I think Clemson would probably own the tiebreaker. And I think that's probably the rule they'll go head to head, but you know, it's a situation where you you just sort of look at it and it, it could be, interesting to see just based on how they're determining uh, everything. So uh, I think that, um, you know, you, 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 look at that situation, that that's a, that, that, that's a deal where, you know, it's probably going to play itself out uh, in Charlotte when they finally get there, but you just don't know it. Clemson's got to continue to win. You know, Clemson has one more loss, Mike. I think they're out. Um, and, and I, and no I question. think, you know, you could, you could justify something else and, you know, they got pit. Uh, who they did lose to back in 2016. And then he got a trip to Virginia Tech, uh, at Blacksburg in the cold, um, and then FSU if you reschedule it. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how, how, how it uh, how it plays out for the Tigers. I, I tend to think Clemson's going to run the table, Clemson's going to roll to a win against Notre Dame and Charlotte, and Clemson's going to be in the playoff. But, uh, you yes. know, there is no margin for error for them right now, but it seems like we say that about them every year. And they tend to come through
0: Clemson rolls plays Notre Dame in a close game. in the ACC championship game punches its ticket winner of Alabama, Florida punches its ticket, Ohio state. Can we just give them the ticket now in the big 10? And then like it always does the, the one source of controversy is number four. And you, depending it does Notre Dame, keep it close in the ACC championship game, then they've got a really good path in. Uh, if somehow Florida beat Alabama in like an overtime thriller in the SEC championship game, then maybe Alabama gets in. We've seen this before. Um, and then as much as Cincinnati and BYU and maybe Oregon and the Pac-12 would be a great story, I just don't see them happening. I, I just don't see it happening. So, I mean, the most unpredictable thing we have perhaps are the ACC and, a, and ACC championship games. Like that's going to be must-see TV in both situations. I, I, th- I think we could have two really good games. That might be more entertaining than some of the playoff, quite frankly. i, I
1: tell you that Florida-Bama, you know, the last, the last time, last two times Florida's played Bama, it has not been a very good football game at all. No, they weren't um, in the same class. No, but this time the Gators' offense and the way – they're kind of in the zone right now, you know, that, that could be one of those, you know, 52, 45 kind of. It really
0: could. I mean, Florida will score points on anybody. Yeah. That is a, that is a well-oiled machine right now going on in Gainesville. Um, But it's not the best defense. It's gotten better. It's not the best defense in the world. And they're they're certainly not going to stop Alabama's offense. So that's got a chance to be a really good game. And, Yeah, we already saw Notre Dame. I realized Lawrence didn't play, but Notre Dame did a lot of things well in that game to let you think it's going to be competitive in the ACC championship game. I don't expect those type of uh, theatrics in the Big Ten. And then I just, I think the back 12 title game is almost a moot point. Unless Oregon can uh, get there undefeated. I mean, they barely beat UCLA. I, I'm trying to make a case, but on a seven-game schedule. See, that's the thing that does bother me. Everybody just assumes that. Well, if you played a full twelve games, you know you're going to win all those games anyway. The beauty of college football, and the thing that has been consistent with college football, as predictable as it's become at the top lately we're always good for an upset and part of the the beauty uh, of becoming a playoff team is that you play week in and week out and you have to show up week in and week out and it's not easy to keep these young men motivated week in and week out that's why you see a lot of those upsets so it's going to be hard for the committee even if Oregon runs the table to take them over a, a say a one loss uh Notre Dame, right? Let's say, you know, it's apples to apples and uh we it's really not apples to apples, I'll have to find another fruit. Um maybe the tomato since we already established I love tomatoes. Uh you've got a an 11 and 1, was that right? Notre Dame will have played in the ACC Championship game. Is that their 12th game?
1: I think oh. they got yeah, I do think that Notre Dame got Everything in they had okay. some, re- well, they have some games coming up that they've rescheduled, right? Let me let me let right. real quick. Notre Dame right. is, yeah,
0: they, um, assuming they would get all their games in, that'd be 12, and assuming Oregon gets all of its games in, which is still a strong assumption in that league, they'd be what seven and oh, right? And then eight and with the championship, they that's a junior high school schedule. <laughs> yeah. So 8-0 versus 11-1. and <laughs> I don't and see your And your
1: only loss is to Clemson. Yeah. And you beat Clemson. Uh, right. I can't see it. I, I just can't see it, And uh, you know, as far as that goes. And you're right because you know, you don't want to pile four more games on to Oregon or whatever. And look, you know, th- those leagues made their decision okay, uh, to go do what they had to do. I mean, the problem's going to be, Mike, though, is how do you justify Ohio State Only going through what eight games or whatever, Uh, or gosh, they got they're down to seven now. Okay, and so they'll they'll only be eight. No, I mean, is that fair that we do that with them and Oregon just because we they pass the eyeball test better?
0: I would say they not only pass the eyeball test better. I would say the Big Ten's a better league, wouldn't you? Fair, I I I don't know because and that this year. Like, is there an Indiana in the Pac-12 this year?
1: I think there'll be, there'll, be, there'll, be, there'll be several teams in the Pac-12, you know, and I haven't seen enough of, of that league to really well, know. Here,
0: here's what's not fair for the Pac-12. And I'll yeah. admit this is not fair, but this is true. And, and, I, and I, would be vic- I would fall victim to it if I was in that what is it, 13-person committee room as well. We're only supposed to judge it on 2020, but let's be honest. The Pac-12 for a while has been the redheaded stepchild of the Power Five. So if it's close and we don't have those, you know, we didn't have as many interconference matchups this year where we could really have more apple-to-apple comparisons. Uh, if it's close, I do think conference reputation over the last four or five years will make a difference. And if that's the case, the Pac-12 doesn't have a leg to stand on. Yeah, I and think that's a, even, even if Oregon was dominating everybody. And again, I point out they barely beat UCLA. And I, I think Ohio State on
1: a neutral field would probably take it to every team in the Pac-12. 12, Pac 12. I'm, just, I'm just saying that, you know, you look at it. I mean, Michigan's down. Michigan State is down. Um, Indiana is the best other team in the East. Penn State has not won a game is you know, good. North is good to see Ohio State. They haven't played those teams, you know. And you and right. you look at it, and if let's say they go with let's say they get Northwestern uh in the in the in the championship game, you know, then you're you're looking at us at a schedule for Ohio State that appeared strong, but it wasn't necessarily strong. Now, what I think is they're gonna give the Buckeyes the benefit of the doubt. Um, because they are an awfully good team. It's a lot like, you know, but I think their schedule sets up an awful lot like the Notre Dame schedule back in uh, whenever that was that they made the playoff 20, uh, 2018 when they played Clemson, where there were a lot of name teams on the schedule where you look at it and you go, oh, at Penn State, that's tough. At Michigan State, that's tough. Michigan's always tough, uh, but they weren't really tough. They were paper Tigers. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I, you know, I think they'll get in. I, I'm, I'm not going to protest them being in. But uh, I, I don't know that if you're, if you're taking, you know, if, if they were the University of Illinois and, and did that through the Big Ten, or if let's say Indiana had beaten them and made it through the Big Ten and they were compared to a Pac-12 program like Oregon, mm-hmm. I don't know that Oregon wouldn't get the benefit of the doubt. And, and, and look, it's college football and perception matters, so that's fair. But um, I, just looking at what Ohio State actually has accomplished this year, you know, it's not like they've got some sparkling resume. I do think they're a great football team though. And I, 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 they could win the national championship. <laughs> I mean, but yeah. um, you know, it, it's just one of those where you, you match that up and, and it may not make total sense to everybody.
0: No, I, I, I agree. Um, and look, there's no uh, <clears throat> Pac-12 hate coming here. I, I wish the Pac-12 was relevant. I wish I could tune into Pac-12 after dark and see a really good Southern Cal team or a really good uh, Washington team, but we're not there. And you look at Oregon's schedule the rest of the way: at Oregon State, yeah, at Cal, and Washington at home. And not a whole lot of resume builders there. So I, I just think Oregon and the Pac-12 finds itself behind the eight ball. And if it's close, and I got one conference that played more games. And I got one conference that has been consistently strong, where the Pac-12 has been consistently moving to irrelevance. I, I think the committee is going to side against Oregon, and that one, uh, it's going to be a, a tough day for the Ducks. And that's assuming that that Oregon wins out. We shall see if if that happens as well. We'll take a look at the upcoming games for this weekend. Some more games that have been canceled or postponed but still a full slate of games, including some good rivalry matchups as well. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803 319 1777. You can also check him out online at marisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803 319 1777. You'll be glad that you did. No road, no problem. Get to where you're going with a truck loan from Founders Federal Credit Union. Prepare for the drive of your life with our low rates and easy application process. Set your budget with our online auto loan calculator or get started right away on your application in Founders Online at foundersfcu.com slash auto. On the move already and looking for a lower payment? Refinance with Founders and lock in your low rate today. Visit relax.joinfounders.com to see if you qualify for membership. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by in CUA. So there was some big news yesterday, uh, a game that I was actually scheduled to call Missouri, Arkansas that gets postponed. That's off the board. We've had some conference USA games that have been uh, outright canceled. And of course, you know, as we're recording this on Tuesday, what we've learned is we're, we're probably not done. That's the reality. But as I always like to point out, we have played a hell of a lot more games than people thought that we would could or should. So I've choose to focus on that. And as it stands right now, the sec still theoretically has a chance to have every game scheduled played to where every team would play 10 conference games. That's not out of the realm of possibility just yet. We're running out of windows, the margin of error is uh is rapidly moving to zero but we got a chance to get a lot of games in this weekend there are some top 25 matchups iowa state texas in austin very intriguing to say the least i know you and i are big matt campbell fans and have been for a while notre dame north carolina can the fighting mac browns pull one off and uh and shock the world and, and and put an end to the Notre Dame storyline, at least temporarily. Of course, they'd still have a chance in the ACC title game. Kentucky, Florida, and the SEC. Auburn, Alabama, it's weird having the Iron Bowl not be the last game of the year. It's weird having Ole Miss, Mississippi State, the Egg Bowl, not be the last game of the year, but that is the case. Georgia, South Carolina, LSU, Texas A&M, just some of the matchups to look forward to this weekend.
1: Yeah, that Notre Dame, North Carolina game could potentially be a fly in the women. You know, the Tar Heels, you know, lost to Florida State. Um, uh, Mac Brown struggles, really struggles with his alma mater. You know, they have the games where they've given up a bunch of points, like the Wake Forest. Um, lost to Virginia in kind of a weird one. But they're still a good football team, perfectly capable of beating the Irish. Now, good news if you're a Notre Dame fan, they've been playing – Notre Dame's been playing better the last couple of weeks. The Clemson game certainly was very impressive because um, I, I didn't think – you know, Trevor Lawrence or no Trevor Lawrence, I didn't think Notre Dame could hang with them. Uh, And then the next week to get back up and go play a Boston college team that's as improved as anybody in the country um, and and to handle their business like that, you know, I I think the Irish have gradually gotten better all year. Um, But, you know, this is a very losable game uh, for Notre Dame. Apologize for my dog barking like that. That's Um, okay. We got dogs
0: barking. We got me coughing. We got (laughs) mayonnaise debates going on. Everything is uh, all wrapped into this one podcast.
1: And, and, you know, look, this is a big game for Tom Herman and Texas uh, as well as Iowa State. Uh, You know, Tom Herman has been the subject of a lot of criticism uh, this year. He's five and two. They've been kind of winning and turning it around. Uh, You know, beating Iowa State could get them back in the mix to get the big 12 title game. Um, Iowa State wins this one. You know they're, they're going to be a little bit hard to catch. I think I, I'm not if I'm not mistaken, they may clinch if they beat the Longhorns. Um, so a big game for both schools there. I'm really really looking forward to that one. Um, you know Kentucky has been really struggling, and boy, now they got to go play the Gators. <laughs> um, lost sixty three to three to Alabama. Uh, barely slipped by Vandy a couple of weeks ago. I don't know where their defense has gone. Um, but just when you count the Wildcats out. Uh, they tend to come back and, and and play a great game. So that should be good. And I'm also curious, Mike, to see Maryland uh, and Indiana play because, you know, Maryland's been a surprise. You know, they got Tua's younger brother there. He's making some things happen. Jake Funk is an outstanding, fun-to-watch running back. You know, Indiana's coming off the loss like that. Maryland's capable of going in there and beating them. Uh, so that game in Bloomington certainly is one uh, that I'm looking forward to. Uh you know, quite frankly, a lot, uh, you know, and, and I think that
0: uh,
1: I'm going to Google this to make sure I am right, because I want to be right on this. Please, they, God, contributing to big tech me.
0: and the growth of mayonnaise.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Top um, all right. So let me just. Uh, he doesn't like. The no, tomatoes. it's not. Tight tomato. I thought that uh, Floyd of Rosedale was the uh, which is the best trophy in all of college football. Um, that's Iowa, Minnesota, though. I think Wisconsin and Minnesota play for Paul Bunyan's axe. That sounds right. Uh, is it? Is it Paul Bunyan's It's Paul Bunyan's axe yeah. uh, for the border war, border war between the golfers and the badgers up there in the frozen tundra. Um, America's Dairyland. Uh, and so I'm, uh, uh, shoot. I thought it was the Floyd of Rosedale, but that's, yeah, that's I'm Iowa. And Minnesota. I did so the land of Lincoln
0: one game, the uh, Illinois Northwestern game. Yeah. I don't know if any of the players really were that excited about that trophy, but, but they have,
1: man, one. there's nothing better than Floyd of Rosedale. <laughs> when does Wisconsin Minnesota and Iowa when does when do they play?
0: Well, while you're thinking about that, can I mention one game that, that I'm still intrigued by despite Absolutely. a 24-and-a-half point spread? I, I never miss this game, whether I would watch it live or DVR it, um, but it, the Iron Bowl is still the Iron Bowl to me. And I know, I know, it, it, does Auburn really have a chance of beating Alabama? But what, what makes it intriguing to me, I hate to say it, this makes me sound like a sadist, but the intrigue and angst of Auburn fans and Gus Malzahn that dynamic will never stop fascinating me. In some ways, I hope it never ends. Even though every <laughs> year it's a threat to end, I I can't get enough of it. And so it's not j- like style will matter in this game. If Auburn loses a close game, even the most ardent of Auburn fans would be like, Hey, we just lost to the best team team in America. If they get blown out and it's one of those where, as we know, Under Gus, when they lose, very often they lose in a manner that is so ugly offensively that it really, really angers the fan base. Um, If that happens, we talked about Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee. It could be another another weird uh, few weeks on the plains. And Gus Malzahn's got an insane buyout, as we've talked about. It's like 24 million, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that won't stop fans from clamoring that they want a new coach if things don't look pretty in the Iron Bowl.
1: Yeah, I, I, I forgot to mention the Iron Bowl, probably because of the spread. But that's always look. They've made documentaries about that game, so um, it's uh, you know, it's always a, a game that you you, you want to try to catch. And you know, Auburn won last year, so the tide. Probably wants to get back at him, you know. That and, was a weird Nick, game, Gus. Yeah, the, the Pitt, Mac, Mac Jones especially needs to get some retribution, but uh, with the pick sixes he threw, so that's yeah, that's going to be interesting. You know that that's the one. You know, but Malzahn has nine lives down there. And One of the reasons is, of all the teams in the SEC West, Auburn has historically given Bama the most trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just, it just in terms of wins during the Saban era, I think they've got the most. So, and it's been Malzahn, you know, and, and he's won two in a row
0: when the game's been at Auburn. So, yeah. and well, that's the thing. This is the one thing I'll say about Gus and that rivalry too often you hear the cliche and they'll, they'll be, they'll be busting this out left and right this weekend. And then when the rest of the rivalry games are played, uh, particularly in state ones, You'll hear it again. Oh, when these two teams meet, you can throw out the records. Oh, it's, I don't care if, if this team's a 25 point favorite. This is, you know what normally happens the better team wins. Yeah. And that's what happened with Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, which that's what happened traditionally in that rivalry. I know Oklahoma state is supposed to have a, uh, a breakthrough team with Chuba and whatnot, but Oklahoma's just better. And they showed it uh, on Saturday and they, they've been showing that almost every year uh, during that time. You look at some of the other rivalry games, you know, I mean, one that uh, you are obviously familiar with in, in South Carolina, Clemson. How often does the underdog win that game? Mm, no, I, I don't think I've seen an upset in that game. like. A, there's been
1: mild upsets where one team's like seven and three, and one's five and five, and right, five right. and five wins. But, but a major upset in, in Clemson, South Carolina, no. Now
0: yes. I, I haven't, I haven't seen same thing. Florida, Florida State, same thing. Uh, Florida, Tennessee, Georgia, Georgia. I mean Georgia, Georgia Tech. Like, I, I, it's rare, Mike. It's, it's rare. rare because it's really like, rare. I, I can only
1: like. T- and I'm sure there's other ones i mean i i, I know I, there are three come to mind okay right off the top of my head number one florida state number one in the country 1997 against a two or three lost florida team in the swamp Steve Spurrier and the gators beat them 32 29 you know florida state was mm-hmm. i think 11 and or 10 and 0, 11 and 0 going in they lost pitt and west virginia which for those that you don't, those that don't know that is a bitter rivalry. <laughs> um, you know, Pitt's lost both their rivals over the years, which I think sucks because Penn State suddenly won't play them and West Virginia they can't play them because they went the Big 12. Pitt went the ACC. Rich Rodriguez was about to waltz into the BCS National Championship game with Pat White in West Virginia. The game was in Morgantown and the Wonstash, Dave Wonstadt and Pitt go into Morgantown and beat them 13 to 9.
0: And destroyed Rich Rod's career because he. I mean, he, of course, he goes on to a great Our. opportunity in Michigan, but he's never been the same. The last time I saw Rich Rod was a year ago. He was the offensive coordinator for Missouri, right? Yeah, I uh, Ole Miss, there. Ole Miss. I'm sorry, Ole Miss, Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. don't confuse
1: Rich Rod with Darren. Dooley, with Darren Doolittle.
0: Yeah. Why? Well, I mean, I had yeah, meetings both on. of them last Dude, year. The Doolander. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm sitting there and it's like it's Rich Rodriguez. Like, am I really talking to the guy that was once on top of the world and now he's the OC for a, a, a kind of a lame duck coach in, in Matt and Lu- Matt Luke. And I don't know where where Rich Rod is now or what he's doing now. I guess he's coaching somewhere. The backyard brawl. His career, that that was the the, – Rich Rod never – he probably still wakes up in a cold sweat every other night from from that game. You're right. Yeah. That that was
1: the year Ohio State and LSU played for it. LSU actually got the berth and won it. With two losses, both of them right. in overtime that year, that was, that was weird, but Pitt going in there and beating them was a huge upset 13 to nine. And I got a third one for you also yeah. by the score of 13 to nine. This was in 2006, uh, at USC, the Southern California Trojans, Southern California was one of the best programs in America during this time. They had it rolling. Okay. That's why Mike and I sit here and talk about how it'd be nice if, you know right. they they had it rolling again. There, There's no uh, there was no NFL football in LA at the time. Mm-hmm. They were the toast of the second largest city, entertainment capital of the world. I mean, this the Coliseum had ninety thousand. All right, so UCLA obviously that those were not the glory days of UCLA football. And UCLA plays a bit, beats them again by the score of thirteen to nine, <laughs> right. and 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 ruined Southern Cal's season in 06. So. Um, those are the only three that come to mind, Mike, and it's weird because you're right. These rivalry games, you know, they 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 usually go to the favorite. You know, they, you, you say that you can throw the the way the, and, and look. There's been times where you've seen a major underdog play it close or challenge in a rivalry game, but very rarely do they win. And, and I think that's rarely, an excellent point.
0: Let's in oh, the Yeah, Ohio State, Michigan's another one. I mean, we we thought with Jim Harbaugh that he'd be able to pull the rabbit out of the hat. I mean, he once beat Southern Cal as like a 42 point underdog as a head coach of Stanford hadn't happened. I think majestically, we all just think that the, the uh, euphoria and all the intangibles of a rivalry will really enhance the chance of these major upsets. But unfortunately we don't really have that many. So here's Alabama, 24 and a half point favorite. Here's Ole Miss, a nine and a half point favorite, which is not huge. And certainly they're not a flawless team. I don't think any team that has no defense, uh, if they lose that game, I can't consider it a major, major upset. That game could be 73 to 72. It could be. It absolutely could be. Most exciting
1: egg bowl in history.
0: But anyway, I mean, that's that's uh, that's what it it comes to my mind every time this year when it's when it's rivalries and you're like, oh, and you hear all the cliches and it's like, no, the better team almost always wins. (laughs) We just don't have that many upsets in rivalry games anymore, Uh, but we still love them nonetheless. And we still love this doing this podcast each and every week for you, even though we've gone along this week. Uh, So just some extra stuffing for your JC and Morgan podcast turkey.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm fired up. Uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, hey, thankful that there's at least college football on, you know, normally this is there's my, I mean, you know, you're going to miss these ACC SEC rivals, Florida State, Florida, South Carolina, Clemson, Kentucky, Louisville, um, Kentucky, Louisville probably been a little competitive this year because both teams are kind of <laughs> yeah. going in opposite directions. Uh, FSU, Florida, Clemson, South Carolina, probably not competitive. And, you know, Georgia, Georgia tech probably wasn't going to be that competitive either. So not, not a bad year to take these off. I've, you know, I've, I've been sitting here, Stuart, I'm going to start a, uh, a, a petition to get somebody needs to play Pitt as a rival. Okay. West Virginia, Penn State. Somebody needs to sign up. It's not fair to the Panthers to lose both of their rivals, and both of those were good games over the years. Yeah, and uh, you know, hail Pitt. I know that's what they say, hail Pitt up there. And I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to get a petition together to get <laughs> them to somebody. You know, it should be law that West Virginia or Penn State one needs to play Pitt. I
0: agree. I happen year. to be friends with two diehard Pitt fans. One an alum and one not. And they both tell me the same thing every year. We will play them anytime, but they think they're too good for us and they don't want to schedule us. And that goes back to Joe Pa, uh, who basically put an end to that and said, No, we're not we're not playing Pitt every year. We don't have to play Pitt every year. It's beneath us. And that's just kind of the way Penn State looks. That Pitt would gladly sign a twenty year annual contract with Penn State. Gladly do it. And that would be a good time to do it because Penn state has got issues with hair on them. That's yeah. a whole other podcast that they're doing right now. Uh, in, in the Shoot, Keystone, talk talking about where the heck is things gone under James Franklin, but it just goes to show you whether it's Penn state, whether it's Southern Cal, whether it's Texas, Alabama had a down period, uh, Florida state's a d- disaster right now. Miami has had disastrous times. Florida had, I mean, it it can happen to anybody, but I still maintain what I call the volcano programs. It doesn't happen for too long. Those programs eventually erupt again under the right coach and the right leadership. And there's too many good things going for them to not be good. I can't say the same about Nebraska anymore. I don't think that is a volcano program. I think that is a program that's going to struggle to ever be. Uh, close to where they were back in the glory years of Tom Osborne. Tennessee may not be far behind the media.
1: Yeah. I, I think Tennessee's got more going for it, but if they don't get it right, I mean, you know, how many coaches you're going to hire?
0: You know? Right. Well, and I think the thing, too, about Tennessee, with all due respect for the Tennessee fans, you know, it was one national title in, in, in the modern era, if you will. Um, and it was uh, under – Whatever, sir. I'm not taking anything away from it, but it wasn't under Peyton Manning, it was under T Martin, and they went ahead and they won and it was great. Um, but outside of that, it's not like they were, you know, going three out of four years winning the national title or playing for it four out of ten or putting together a run like Spurrier did winning SEC championships or Bobby Bowden did with top five finishes. Um you know, or uh, Woody and Bo. I mean, I don't put Tennessee in that category. I put them in, they, they reached their peak under Fulmer. And people like to say, well, we should have never fired Fulmer. Well, look, go back in the last few years under Fulmer. It was going the wrong direction. Like they peaked, Phil peaked. And then it was, it was not, there was no signs that they were getting back to that level. And they've tried a half a dozen different coaches and they still haven't gotten back to that level. So I don't know what the answer is in Knoxville. I'm glad yeah. I'm not the guy that has to make that decision.
1: Yeah, it's, 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 it's weird. Oh, by the way, one, one note before we go, breaking news. So the game for Paul Bunyan's acts will not be played. Um, and so this what this means is the Badgers now are ineligible for the Big Ten title game. Oh no. Yeah, thanks for Big Ten. Awesome. You, you guys are awesome with your protocols. Um, so now <laughs> Northwestern only needs to win one of their final three games to clinch the West and uh get in the Big 12. You know, I and I'll I'll say this one quick thing. Shout out to Pat Fitzgerald. Yeah. I, I looked up some stuff about him over the weekend. He's 104 and 79. At Northwestern, the whole—I mean, if you'd have told me anybody to be able to go to Northwestern and right. stay that long and win a hundred and four games, uh, I'd have said you were crazy. But he's—he was a great player there, believes in that program, and, and literally, for my money, is one of the best coaches in the
0: country. I agree, and they're very fortunate in that he just loves that school so damn much he's not going. You yeah. know, he's not going, and and Northwestern doesn't have the same culture of a lot of elite program for the fan bases after every, after every loss have to question the hell out of everything and fire this guy and fire that guy. They don't do that there. Uh, and so Pat doesn't have to deal with that. And he makes enough money to be happy, gets to work at his alma mater, lives in a pretty cool city. So life is good if you're Pat's Fitzgerald and you don't have to constantly say, I wonder if the grass is greener. Yeah, about to win his
1: second division title and go to a 10th bowl game in 15 years and and a bounce back after a three and nine season last year yeah or fifth so that's I just want to say I, I got to watch them play against Wisconsin and I tell you man they're just tough they're gritty they're tough they make plays they do their assignments uh you know I don't know that they'll beat Ohio state, but you know, they'll get a second chance out of a second time in three years, Northwestern and Ohio state. will meet for the
0: big 10 title. Yes. I think if nothing else, Joey Galloway might've earned a little uh, respect for, for Northwestern. I know he just looks at them as a bunch of slow, non-athletic people, um, perhaps maybe they're a little faster and more athletic than, than Joey thought. So you probably won't call him Reese Davis anymore Jeez. with all due respect to Reese. who we, we know and love. All right. That's going to do it for us. I appreciate uh, everybody out there joining us. Stay safe. Enjoy a Thanksgiving, no matter how many people are at the table and we can't wait to talk to you next week with plenty more news and results to discuss for JC. It's Mike saying so long.